oh, you feel right comfortable. Now, right? We are we are one hundred percent live. Yeah. By the way, no, I'll t- I'm happy to talk about this actually because I think uh, I feel like it's something everyone should do. So, my older kid is thirteen, and uh, you know, like I'm a I am a cook slash chef, whatever that you know, whatever the difference is. Bro, you are people. you are far more than just cook, sir. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, it's like a, I feel like a chef is like a guy with a clipboard, and a cook is like the guy sweating over the fire. Um, for sure, I do a little bit of both, but I, you know, whatever. So uh, we've done a bunch of like eating throughout the course of my kid's life, but um, tonight was our first fancy dinner date. We went out to a really fancy dinner, Ooh. and. Uh, had they had a bunch of nice non-alcoholic cocktails for my kid and um we just had like a bunch of courses of just like wild interesting food and it was awesome what was just the like craziest really... thing you ate hmm. we went to this restaurant called estella um i'm trying to think if there was they had this one thing that was just kind of like crab and butter and uh, black truffles tossed, mm-hmm. and it was like laid under these like really thin slices of celery root. Um, and it was, you know, it was simple, but it was just like out, it was just like really, really tasty. Oof. Um, Oof. And, but it was, yeah, I mean, the food was awesome, but it was more about like, just like our time, like just like hanging out and just like sitting at dinner and having like a nice meal and, you know, it takes a while. So we just like chat, you know, and like, you don't, I never did that with my dad when I was a kid. Um, not that I'm like one upping my dad right now, but like, uh, it's just, it was just nice to spend time, spend time with my kid. For, for those who, are just joining us I, I recognize we did not do the intro but i've been enjoying doing the intros in this way but welcome to another episode of late night bitcoin it is i your host you. q and i'm joined by tonight's guest away slice and we are of course i'm i genuinely this is one that i've been looking forward to for a while um awesome. i've been on a bit of a streak where i've done very little bitcoin and a lot more just whatever our heart desires and this one is one that I'm looking forward to because I've been for myself at least cooking a lot more. And dude, when you post like little hint recipes, things like that, my bookmarks are full of your little tips and tricks of cooking. So I am very, very honored and humbled that you're taking the time to chat with me tonight, my friend. Awesome. Thank you. What have you, what have you been cooking? Ooh, last, uh, last night, I do my normal pasta. I make a bolognese. I cheat a little bit and I do use the Rayos sort of sauce, but I, you know, keep it simple, usually garlic, onion, mushrooms. And then it's the spice core is primarily paprika and then some salt pepper, but simple. It comes out great against the, and some garlic powder, of course. I, I overdo it on garlic powder, but I also. <laughs> I don't care. It's so good. Yeah. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Do you know the whole like uh like story of Rouse and like the history of Rouse? Have you ever heard of that? 
I have, but honestly, it's like I'm so intrigued by this restaurant. So I used to live in LA a block and a half away from the LA location in Hollywood. So I used to go there twice a week. But please, like, I, I want to, like, share these stories. I actually don't know a ton about it. I know that there's, like, the New York version of Rouse has, mm-hmm. like, 10 or 12 tables. I mean, for, like, it's, like, a way uptown, tiny Italian restaurant. Um, well, it's, and, like, you really can't. It's not. It's almost. It's so small. It's almost not open to the public. You have to. Like, well, no, it's not open to the public. Have you? Have you ever never gone? Been there. No, okay. No, never been there. So I have heard uh, how it works. It is, you buy it almost like they sell each table. There are only ten tables, and they literally sell a season pass for the year, and so someone will buy the right to the table for the whole year. And that is the person who holds the reservation. So you can't contact Rayos to get a reservation. You have to know who has the table. And people will give it as gifts. People will go themselves. People will sell it off, raffle it off, whatever they do with it. But that is, that's why it's considered one of the hardest reservations to get in New York because you can't actually call the restaurant to get it. That's so funny. I don't, I mean, is it good? I don't even, I've never been there. Like, I don't even know if it's good. I like the tomato sauce. I think it's good. Oh, it's honestly, like, I, I genuinely ate there twice a week. It is heaven on earth if you like pasta. Like, the trick is you can get the pastas in half size. They have one in Vegas as well. So, if next time you're in LA or Vegas, just go. Highly recommend. And, the pastas come in half portions as well. So then you can do like more mix and match stuff. Um, if you go on Sunday, just get the Sunday feast. It's literally just like a bowl of all these different meats. And the chef just comes in in the morning and just like throws everything into a pot. And it's just been cooking overnight for like 24 hours, just stewing there, only available on Sundays. But it's incredible. I love the meatballs. I used That's to like. Awesome order was i would just order the fried moths and meatballs and i would just get that after work some nights and just like go pick it up and go back to my apartment i weirdly know too much about rayos it also was like one of the was like notorious for being like a mob restaurant early on oh yeah yeah no no question it's like a total like mafia all these people have been like shot there and stuff like that (laughs) it's like a weird like a bizarre New York red sauce joint history thing going on. Yeah. But um, no, if if you could ever that that should be on your list for you and your son next time that you guys have the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, well I gotta try it out. I mean for sure I should prioritize it. I could find, figure out a way to get in there. Um that's awesome. I gotta do that. Um, What's one restaurant where you like, like genuinely my go-to restaurant in LA when I'm like, are you in the mood for Italian food? I send people to Rayos. Like what is one restaurant where you're like, this is, I know every time I send someone here, it's just a home run. No, no questions asked. (sighs) I feel like you got to know your audience a little bit. I feel, and when people come to New York, I want to send them to, uh, you know, shit they can only get in New York, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, um, so uh, for example, I'll send people to Katz's, where you mm. get like a crazy huge pastrami sandwich 
and I think that's awesome. And like, I just I don't understand people that don't love that. But the thing about cat, the downside to cats is, is like, it's a shit show. Like, you go in there, there's a line. You get in there, and it's like if you don't know how it works, you kind of get like walked all over, you know, like which is like just a New York thing. But you really, there's all these like, have you ever been to Katz's? I think one time in college. So basically, like you walk in, it's like a giant old deli. The history of Katz's, by the way, is that that was a that was a Jewish neighborhood, and uh, all those there used to be all these delis down there. And they were all kosher, and uh, and because they were kosher, like if you're kosher, you can't mix meat and cheese. Mm-hmm. Katz's was one of the first delis to go non-kosher, where you can put uh, cheese on meat and have a Reuben, where you get like pastrami and put like Swiss cheese on it and stuff like that. And for that reason, they were one of the people that survived because they just they just like cranked out for everybody. Whereas like all where, you know, the, just the 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 Jewish delis that stayed true to kosher had just turned out weeded out. Yeah, yeah, they just couldn't keep up. So, anyways, if you go in there, they're just like cranking out pastrami, and there's all these dudes. There's like four or five dudes, and they're like their role is like the slicer. And each dude has a line. Um, so there'll be like four or five or more lines. And when you get in there, you have to get in a line. But it doesn't look like that. It just looks like a fucking mob waiting for pastrami. Um, so so if you don't realize you got to get in line, you could really stand there for a while before you realize you got to get in line. And then you get in line and then you got to stand there for a little while longer before you get your pastrami. But like as a New Yorker, like like if you and I went there, we could just like muscle in there and I'd be like, hey, you know, Jose, what's up? Like, we're here for the fun. And then they like make us our sandwiches and we we're sitting down when everybody else is like still waiting at the front. Okay. They don't know how it works. Um, I'm definitely texting you to make sure you come with me to Katz's. <laughs> yeah. There's no like, but whatever. So for that reason, it, the food is great, but just the overall experience, maybe it's not for everybody. Um, but I like I like stuff like that. Like that's where I send people to have like food that they can't get outside of New York City. Valid, valid. I have I have kind of a stupid question. Born and raised Dude. West Coast because it is the best coast. Um, is it actually are like the bagels and pizzas actually different because the dough is made with the water in the Hudson? Is that like a thing, or was that just a thing people said to fuck with me yeah. in college? I mean, that's something that everyone says. I, I don't like. I, I think the answer is no. Like, what's the what's in the water? You know, it's just like mineral content. Like, it doesn't. It's not like more wet here than it is out there. You know, like it's just it's water. But like, um, they swear. Like people swear by that. I genuinely. There was a, a period of time in college where people would say that. I was like, like. Are you actually on crack? Like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> uh, I mean, I have legit heard where, like, like there's like a place in Boston that makes bagels that, like, legit just trucks New York tap water to Boston to make bagels, which is just, that, it's just so stupid. Th- dude, there was a place in DC that did that. Like, genuinely, like a group of 
like kids in my fraternity who were New Yorkers, they only ate at that bagel shop because they were like, they bring the water down from New York. And I was like, yeah, what the fuck? Like, what? But that said, like, In N Out is the greatest burger ever. Shout out, Chris. I mean, like, Chris brings up a great point. It's like the iron and the toxins. It's like, okay, if the water is making a difference, that's probably not a good thing. Like, it can't yeah, be. Yeah, maybe. Uh, you know, so do you ever listen to the Andrew Huberman podcast? Do you know I don't. Him? I don't. I mean, he's, Tell he's me more. Like, uh, I like it. It's just like it's every pod, every episode is like three or four hours long, so it's ridiculous. Um, and he's a research scientist. Um, and I sometimes it's kind of life changing, but a lot of times it's not. He should do a better job of just like fucking convincing his information. Anyways, the reason I mentioned him is because he had a, they did an episode this week about water and it's just like, you know, what's the real story with water? Like, should you filter it? Should you worry about pH balance? Should you, you know, all that stuff. Um, and it's, it's pretty fascinating. And like the TLDR, it, and he's like, he's like the first person to be like, look, I'm not like a crazy, like pure water. Uh, yeah, but he's like, you should drink filtered water because a lot of tap water in America is like has shit that we shouldn't be putting in our bodies. So um, wait, is he so is he saying filtered in the sense of like bottled water or like getting a, a stronger than your Brita type of filter? Well, he he kind of uses Brita as an example, and he's like, he doesn't say that he's Brita, but he's just like, I just use a pitcher charcoal filter type thing, okay. Okay. which gets out most of the like an eighty dollar charcoal filter pitcher thing gets out most of the shit that you, we should not be consuming that is in our tap water. Okay. Um, I, I'm obsessed with this kind of stuff. Genuine, like specifically it, water. It, it's it, worth listening to him. And if you're into what, like I, it's super fascinating because he talks about how, like when we should drink water throughout the day, why it makes a difference, how we should adjust our water if we're working out. Like, um, uh, it's cool like it's worth listening to um and obviously like water is probably like one of the most important things that we all consume um, oh my god I, I sorry keep going please no he, the other thing he talks about that's really interesting to me is how our performance trails off if we if we don't consume enough water like and it's not it just you know it, just on if whatever we're supposed to be consuming, if we consume 90% of that or 80% of that, just our performance just drops off a cliff, just like cognitive performance, athletic performance, just like if we're dehydrated, like we can't operate it. So it, it is kind of like, just like get, get a filter, wake up, drink water, <laughs> that sort of thing. Um, it's cool. Yeah, I mean, it probably makes a difference. It's like such an easy, low cost thing to do that makes a, probably a big improvement in your life. Drink a bunch of water. Oh, I can tell the difference in how I operate if I've drank enough water in the morning versus if I'm like, oh shit, I'm behind. I need to chug in the afternoon. Or then, like, the day after I don't drink enough water, it's almost a guaranteed. If I don't get a migraine on the first day and I do it again, I am like on bed. I can't do anything until I like flush out the migraine. It's so yeah. it's so miserable. Yeah. Um, 
I don't want to only talk about water because we got some <laughs> serious we got some serious business to get to, but I could genuinely spend the rest of the episode talking about water. Um, did he talk about in this podcast episode? Because I'm not done talking about water. Um, did he talk about this like researcher who did in Japan this doctor who like would prescribe his patients like pure water, not purified water, water which is typically what we drink, but like pure water which left minerals in the water. Yeah, you know he he does. I'm gonna paraphrase this because I'm pretty. I don't remember the exact details. He goes, there's all these like alkaline waters and waters with different pH balances. He kind of goes through that, um, and really, and then he kind of talks about how if if water has high uh, pH, which is means it's more alkaline, then um, we do we can absorb the nutrients better or, you know, whatever, absorb the minerals better. Um, and mostly, though, that mineral is magnesium. Um, and so he kind of talks about how you can add magnesium to water to raise its pH, and having the water be, you know, room temperature helps. He's like, obviously, if you like cold water, it's way better to drink cold water than it is to just, like, drink less warm water. Um, in terms of, he does kind of, like, go through and, like, do a little bit of myth dispelling about the the levels of water purity and you know tastes and stuff like that. Um, I don't know if he references this Japanese study or person at all, like directly. If he if he did, I didn't know. I didn't recognize it. No, um, I I figured I'd ask, but I'm genuinely going to go and I will be listening to this episode because I'm so. Yeah. As you can tell, I, I do I, I go deep into the rabbit holes on some of these water things. Yeah, it's it's crazy. And he does like he has, he references a lot of like resources throughout the episode. So uh, you know what I'll do is I'll remind me, I'll post it in the Twitter thread after this thing and Ooh, yes. listen to it. I will definitely it's worth, it's worth listening I'll definitely to do it. that. But let's let's start at least with you know the question I ask everyone on this show is tell me about the first time you ever heard about Bitcoin and what was your sort of initial reaction? <laughs> um, the first time, I, this is a little bit different. This is put differently than people often ask. It's like, I think the first time I heard about it. Uh, I, I want to hear like genuinely I'm going for the, what, what most people were skeptical. Like I, I'm very open about it that I heard about it trying to send myself weed in college and I was told to go buy stuff on Silk Road and I was going to, except I didn't want to go buy Bitcoin. I was like, I don't want to deal with that. Like, no, I'll, fi yeah. I'll find someone who will accept cash or something. Yeah. So For sure. It's like the extra friction for like a kid that wants to get high. Um, I think that, uh, <laughs> I think that, uh, but you know, like, you know, if, if we had gotten it, we would just fucking spent it on drugs, like you know, whatever. Um, so I didn't deserve I Bitcoin that, then. I remember, I remember, like talking with my friends about it when we were young. Like we kind of didn't have. We I, with my buddies we used to do this thing where we would rent an island in in Michigan, 
Um, and it was just like <laughs> a dude casually just rent islands. Well, it wasn't like a. It wasn't like a. It sounds fancy, but it was just. It was as not fancy as you could get. I mean, it was like a. Like, is there oh, a house that you guys are staying, was, or are you camping on the island? It was like a log. It was like a log cabin, right? Okay. Um. So there was a building, but I wouldn't call it a house. And uh, <laughs> okay. And so we would go up there, and we would get. In order to get to that to the island, we would have to take a pontoon boat. But the pontoon boat wasn't like a—I mean, it was—it was not a pontoon boat, right? It was just like it was legit, like a dock with a motor on it, and it had like lawn chairs and shit on it. So like, we would just like all like waddle down this little hill and get on this thing, and, and there's just like lawn chairs, and one of us would like drive that boat out to the island. And we would just hang out. But I remember being on that that boat um i mean even calling it a boat is a stretch <laughs> like we were, we were talking about bitcoin and it was probably like 50 bucks or something at the time and you know it's like you know, i'm sure there was like a wired article about it or whatever you really say that was my first hearing about it um and we were all just like what's it for you know like we're just kind of talking about like what's the why does it exist um, and it was just like magic internet money at the time. And then like the, the next steps were just kind of like the different ways that it kind of like, you know, it, it gets shot across your bow as you're like moving through life. You know, it's like a friend by bought drugs with it, you know, like, um, and just like, you know, then we would do that every year. And because we talked about it the last year, we would talk about it the next year. And it's like, now it's $300 and like, whatever. And, um, and I live in Brooklyn, and there's just Bitcoin ATMs around Brooklyn. And uh, the thing that, like, really got me into it was seeing people, like, wait in line for a Bitcoin ATM for what I probably assume was, was remittance payments. You know, just, like, people trying to send money home, like, immigrants trying to send money home mm-hmm. from America. Cause like I have a I have an adopted brother from Sudan. If we he comes back and like works in America for a year or two at a time and goes back and just like we ship him his money, he gets like sixty percent of it at best. Um, right. Just because we're sending him U.S. dollars and like by the time he gets to him, he, I mean he's out in the middle of nowhere in Sudan. He has a phone that works. If we could send if he could spend Bitcoin there. Um, he would get all of it, right? But because we were trying to send him dollars, it has to go to like some guy in a big city that goes to another guy who drives it out. You know, it's just like by the time it gets to him, it's just like whittled down to nothing, um, which is what we experienced with taxes. And also what he experienced with taxes before he tried to send it back to Sudan. And like, it's like, um, so. If that doesn't make you want to use Bitcoin, I don't know what will. You know, it's like he's he's coming back and like trying to bring it back to his family and kids in Sudan, and that's a nightmare. Oh man, but I mean that that is like the exact reason, at least right now today, the most commonly used reason for Bitcoin. Um, when or how did you get like fully orange pilled then? So then I kind of like got into 
so originally I bought Bitcoin and I just like sat on it like as an investment. I didn't pay any attention. I didn't do any. There was no social side of it for me at all. There was no like I didn't Bitcoin talk forums or Reddit or anything. Like I didn't do any of that stuff. Um, and then when the when the Bitcoin Cash thing happened, I was like what the fuck is going on? I just, I had no idea. Um, Cause I just like watched it, you know, it was like prices started going insane. And there was like another Bitcoin. I was like, I just feel like, I was like, I don't, I don't like the, I had Bitcoin during the, the block size wars, but I just like, I had no idea that shit was going on. And, um, and that when it, Click when that turned over was sort of like the end of the it wasn't the end. I don't know. That was shit that was like shit coin shit coin glory days, also, I think, for a lot of people. Um, so there was a hot second where I tried to have shit coins and it was just like I was just like everything was falling off a cliff as as I was getting them. And then I was like, oh, this is terrible. And then there was this one chip coin called Turtle Coin, which was a privacy, which was a privacy focused coin, uh, like meme coin based on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And uh, there was like a development community. And that was kind of when I started to like learn about, I was trying to learn Python. Um, and I was starting to learn about, you know, how everything worked and like running a node and having like a wallet and command line and learning to send and receive. And, um, you know, it was small enough that I could mine on my computer, you know, like I didn't, I could mine in command line just on my MacBook. Um, and all of those things kind of like helped me learn the the foundation of it. And then they had this turtle coin. One of the founders of turtle coin wrote this article. It is still out there. I looked at it this week. Like a, in the, in the past couple of weeks, I looked at it, which was basically like, this is how you fork turtle coin. And he was like, you guys should all make your own coins. And, uh, and, if you ever try to make your own coin, you realize one, it is just so stupid easy to make your own coin. I mean, it's like once you figure it out, you just all you gotta do is make your own coin. But then once you have your own coin, like the only thing that adds it adds value to it is like, uh, you know, convincing people that it has value, right? And then and then there's like a second where you're like if I can just convince everyone that this is worth something, I'll be rich. Right. And then you realize you're like, holy shit, that's what all of these coins are. They're just like some dude fucking made a coin and convinced people it was rich. He, it was worth something. And, uh, and the truth is that like, it's, you know, it, it's just not, <laughs> you know, like it, it's not, or, you know, even, even if it is for a moment here and there, um, like at its foundation, it really was just like some guy just like forking off 
a little coin because a lot of these things they're not new protocols you know they're all spin-offs of whatever other thing it is or you know they're an erc20 token with like a, a utility some utility that they think is going to add value to it um which so also that has was, not been accomplished yet it's yeah. the utility they promised but yeah so forking my own coin from turtle coin and like <laughs> realizing that it's just the, the whole thing is a larp for everyone was was a big was a big orange pill for me uh, and I, that was when I was just kind of like, I'm just, all right, I'm just done fucking with all of that stuff. Which, which I respect and admire. And I, I just got, I got to admit, I did not have on my bingo card tonight that I was going to meet the founder of a shit coin. That was not, <laughs> that was not on my bingo card. Well, to be, to be fair, there was no like buying or selling of my shit coin. Like it was no, no, just no, no. Like, totally. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm taking the liberty of taking it that far purely for the yeah. spectacle of it. Yeah. But as someone who at least like had that recognition because you went down that path yourself, like, let me ask you this. Like, I'm going to ask you a really easy one. And then I want to ask you one that, I'm curious what your answer is. The easy one is like, so would you think that someone like Richard Hart, and that was his mentality of, oh, if everyone can buy into this, I'm going to be rich. Do I think that was his mentality? Mm -hmm. Or like that is his, like that is where his head is at more or less. I don't know. I I mean, I just like I hesitate to give him that much credit. Oh, interesting. Like, interesting. I just, he's is he is he like a malicious genius, or is he just like did he just get fucking lucky? You know what I mean? Um, I I, I don't know the answer to that question. I, like I, I don't, I don't know shit about Richard Hart other than that he posts like ridiculous clothes pictures all the time, um, and that's part of the, that's part of the, uh, like rolling it back to the beginning of our conversation. Uh, I think shit coins are just an incredible waste of time, um, and you know, like if we, if anything that we do has value or have has value and is finite it's our time so like my goal is to do spend my time going out to dinner with my family and not worrying about richard hart or hex like i i just i don't know shit about either of them other than that, like i just see his ridiculous outfits but his, his outfits are so ridiculous that i'm just like he's just out of touch with reality like i have no idea what his reality is but, but dude, i know I, but I, I know it's not mine <laughs> like it's so valid i i fall into the to the camp of bitcoin maxi where like for example when the whole ftt debacle went went down i was most proud of the fact that i had never heard of ftt until that moment like like that type of stuff i think i appreciate so i will spare you the follow-up question which is going to be vitalik's motives but i'll I'll switch it you well, they okay. answer Vitalik a little bit better. I don't. Okay, interesting. But I but I think they're probably similar. Like I think Vitalik is like straight up a megalomaniac. Like I think he's like 
Like, he thinks he's a fucking genius, like, making something that's creating the world, and he's, and he's like, he kind of missed the no one should be in charge memo, right? Right. Um, but then I also, like, I wonder about the relationship between he and Joe Lubin, and I think Joe Lubin is way more uh, conniving and manipulative um obviously he had that whole thing where he like created a false company and like bought a bunch of Vitalik's Ethereum without Vitalik knowing and like but like he they're clearly fucking liars and they're even lying to each other. Um and uh I just I, I just it it that a person knows that it took them whatever five years to roll out what they said originally would take six months, meaning like switching to proof of stake. And now they switch to proof of stake and someone will put their Ethereum, someone will stake their Ethereum knowing they can't unstake it. Um, I feel sorry for a person that has all that information and makes that decision. But I also to Vitalik and Joe Lubin, like, fuck you guys for letting that be possible. Like, that's just like, you fucked guys, people over for a long time now, but that, that feels egregious to me that, that they're going to like force people to lock up their money knowing that there's like no known date that they can unlock it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's terrible. And not to mention they can keep their money unlocked and use it against the people that have their money locked up. Like, I, I don't know. I, that's terrible. Um, I, I think it's much more clear that at least Joe Lubin is a terrible person and probably Vitalik. Um, and I just, you know, the Hex guy is just fucking crazy and maybe stupid. For what it's worth. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, to be honest, like, I think the thing I found most surprising in that was, like, I, I appreciated both answers and I didn't disagree with anything other than just, like, your, like, how difficult it was to answer on Richard Hart, but how easy you found it for Vitalik. But your point on just the whole lockup period and how this has turned into a chaotic nightmare and then now they've slowly started to like dangle the carrot again. Like, oh, it's it's in the next update. Okay, what's the next update? It's like soon, right? Like, no, it's actually it was supposed to be in this quarter and already has been pushed back to I think it's now like four months away or whatever. Um that said, and I'm I feel bad that I waste this brain space knowing this. So I feel like unfortunately <laughs> you're about to have to waste this brain space. Um Having dealt with enough hexagons, I've learned a little bit of what this scam is like. And it's it's straight up, they've just locked their money up. Like they've staked it to Richard Hart himself. So and then I don't the, understand. Can you tell me, can you give me like a brief primer on hex? I don't I legit don't know anything about it. The, is it a proof the, of stake coin where like does it provide yield or something? Like what's happening here? He claims to provide yield if you stake it with him, then like he just airdrops more kind of a thing. 
Um, the exact details and the mechanisms behind it, like I won't try to pretend like I know, yeah. nor do I frankly want to spend the time learning. Um, I've just, for me, like, for example, I've been reading the book 48 Laws of Power recently, and I kid yeah. you not, like, that when they talk about like how the con artists of the past like swindle people, I'm like, okay, so that's Richard Hart doing this. That's okay. Yeah. That's Richard Hart doing that. Okay. Like there's a degree where like I see, okay, all these people have left their money on Paul's chain with one person having the access to all of this money. And he is, promising you that hey i'm gonna take care of you i'm gonna make you rich meanwhile he is going around flaunting all the money he's spending all the cars he has dimes all this stuff and then no one is asking the question okay but where did you make your money because at the end of the day what, what sometimes people don't want to like have that difficult discussion is this is all so speculative, but it's still trading, even if it's Bitcoin, and it is a zero-sum game. You bought Bitcoin from someone else, and they either took a profit selling it to you or they took a loss selling it to you, and it's the same with any other equity and any other crypto. And so no one is asking that question of, okay, if he is rich off of his own coin, that means he's taking profits. And if he's taking profits and is rich and is selling it, that means I'm probably buying it from him. Oh, like I just that oh I get to, but any hex can I've ever talked to doesn't. But that's yeah. that to me is the scam. But that's a distinguishing like that's a distinguishing factor between Vitalik and what's the hex guy's name? Susan? Okay. Dick Hart. Oh yeah, Richard, yeah. So uh Vitalik has never really exhibited uh riches. Like he's not like driving he's not dressing fancy, he's not driving Lamborghinis. Like obviously he's got a shit ton of money, but he's just he's never it's never felt like he's in it for the money. It feels more like he doesn't want to be wrong. Right. Um, and that's a, and I would not say that about Joseph Lubin. Joseph Lubin also doesn't want to be wrong, but like he is taking helicopters places and whatever. Like Joseph Lubin wants to be like a startup guru. Um, and his whole like consistency, consensus thing. And, and that just leaves like a bad taste in my mouth. Um, so like, not not to defend Vitalik for sure, but I just he's got a different vibe than Richard Hart and Lubin. I think Rich, Lubin and Richard Hart, I would kind of like put them in the same bucket. And Vitalik's more like megalomaniac. Like he's just like almost psychopathic. But I, you do know, you think whatever. Vitalik's actually a human being? Like could he could he not just be like the first AI robot that's so humanoid? Like there's something weirdly not human about him. Yeah. Yeah. But it but could it, also yeah. just be he's Russian. It could be. He could also be like, you know, he, he just could lack empathy. You know, like he doesn't, he, he has, it could be like a form of autism or something like that. Or like, um, 
Asperger's where he's just like, he can't like process, I mean, he can't understand the ethics of what he's doing or he just wants to do this thing. I don't know. Let me, all right, this is my, this is a weird segue, but I'm going to throw this in there. This is the thing I wanted to show you earlier. I'm sorry, okay. this thing makes me so happy. It's a tiny dumpster. Oh my God, that's incredible. <laughs> but, which is kind of good. It's, I feel like it's like an okay, like shit coin segue. Like you can just pop this open and drop your shit coins in there. That's uh, awesome. Uh, I was thinking about like putting little candles in there. It's tiny and make it like a little dumpster fires. Oh my God. <laughs> Does, do they have waste management in LA? Yes. Yeah. This is like the New York dumpster. It's like behind every big, big ass building. I just love this little thing and it's metal. Um, I don't know, I'm going to figure out some, some weird project to do with that thing. I look forward Wait. to seeing it. But I wanna we I wanna shift gears now. I, I'm done talking about Bitcoin, crypto, and and shitty founders. I want to talk about first your hat. Oh yeah. Can you share with the audience the story behind the very first beefsteak? One of my favorite stories. Um, the very first beefsteak. So. Talk to. So basically, so basically, I, we're, we might be talking about different beef steaks. So I did. I used to do. I used to do beef steaks for normies before. Oh, um, tell me about that. Before Bitcoin beef steaks, um, and that was when I was talking about like just not not being involved in uh, like the Bitcoin culture at all. Like I was just that was my. I was trying to get people to do beef steaks. Just because I like the jam. And then uh, in New York, Pierre was organizing meetups, Pierre Richard. And we would go like just drink at bars once a month. And uh, which, by the way, if anyone is listening, we're going to do this Friday at Pubkey in New York City. I'm, I'm trying to like revive that meeting the second Friday of every month. We're going to go to Pubkey and get drunk. Or not, you don't have to get drunk. You don't even have to drink, but you should just come hang out with us. <clears throat> Anyways, those those drinking sessions were happening, and uh, and Pierre was like doing organizing some steak dinners, and uh, I went to those steak dinners, um, and just they were fun, but it was just like different. And I just said to Pierre, I was like, I'm doing this dinner, you know, here's what it is. Like we just everybody goes. It's like. We have a bunch of steak. Q, have you been to a beefsteak? I came to my, I went to the one that was ticketed in Miami in 22. And then I came to the after party one in 21 that you hosted at that house. Oh, on the at, island. at our house. Yeah. Okay. 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 Cool. Awesome. So, yes. So, so, anyways, so we did, I told Pierre that, and Pierre was like, cool, let's do it. Like, let's just tell people. And so, uh, we had the first one was in my backyard and we did like a small one. And then probably like a couple months after that, Pierre did another steak dinner. And at that place, I, I don't know if I sat next to CK, but CK was there. And I was like, it was like me and 
Pierre and CK, and I, and I was like, I told them about it, and CK was like, let's we'll do one on my roof. <laughs> and I was like, and I was like, yeah, I mean, if you if you're willing to, I was like, I'll well, I'll come out there and we'll do it. Like, do you need to check with your girlfriend? He's like, no, no, no we're just gonna make it. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so basically, he was just like, let's let's do it. Like, um, and and so. Basically, in that moment, he was like, I'm good if you're good. He's like, are you good? And I was like, I'm good. He's like, okay, let's do it. And then, uh, basically, we did it. And, like, we had a, we had a, the first, like, big, big beefsteak, which was just 40 people, was on CK's roof at Bitcoin 2019, I guess. Um, and it was great. And I was like, a, it was, like, kind of chilly, but it was, like, nice outside um no one had like ever done it before so it's just like low expectations are the key to <laughs> success <laughs> and, uh, i was gonna say it is not low key anymore <laughs> yeah no but it was it's fun and we i do try to do we do some low key ones sometimes um wherever we can um and then i just like you know i just I just mark myself fortunate. Like I, I love doing beefsteaks and I think there's kind of like a weird, uh, I consider myself lucky. Like there's some kind of weird, good timing. Like the time that it was happening was kind of like a little bit before people were crazy carnivores and everybody likes steak. And there's just like a little bit of a different event. Um, and, and so it just got traction there and and it's continued to move forward. And I and I love doing like I love doing them. I love the people that come to them. Um and I consider myself really lucky for those reasons. Like it's it's been an awesome thing. Well, as someone who has had the great, great pleasure of attending a, a couple of beefsteaks, it is as good as everyone talks about and the food is genuinely like truly some of the best steak I've ever eaten. So thank awesome. you very much, sir. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. I, I want to make sure I get to ask this, the cast iron question, but I, I, you kind of hinted at something that has my curiosity a little bit more, but you mentioned you were doing beefsteaks for normies. I'm, I'm curious. Like, how did you hear about, beefsteak to begin with because it's like a historically significant thing joe rogers i remember like sent us a whole thing he was like everyone at bitcoin magazine needs to read this before you attend this if this is your first beefsteak like this is not like just a casual thing this is like a thing so how did you get inspired by it so i i like to read food history and there's um there's this book of historic like food articles the new yorker which is like an old magazine where people just submit articles has always had a food section and and every year has a food edition um, and they've done that forever and so you can get like collections of food articles from the new yorker in like a book form or whatever um so people somebody gave me this one of them called secret ingredients and it's just like a collection of food articles and uh 
in there was a beefsteak article called All You Can Hold for Five Bucks. Um, and I just recommend people read it no matter what. I just think it's... Have you read it? You must have read it. Oh, you didn't read it. Wait, the article? Yeah. Yes, yes, back, I did. Back when Joe... Yes. Forwarded it. I mean, it's just... It's fun. You know, it's like, it's stupid. You're reading it. It, it just kind of feels silly. People are saying ridiculous things. And it's from like... 1939 so everybody you know just like their language is different and um they're like yeah i don't know it's good um so i read that and i was like i i just clicked i was just like this is what i want to do um this it just made it just was so simple it's just so simple it's just like just eat a bunch of meat with your hands um and anything and people want and even I'm guilty of it too. People, everyone wants to complicate it, but it's just like, just bring the people out and just like throw them around a table and turn on some music and just like put good food in front of them. And, and they'll, and everything else kind of falls by the wayside and you can, they'll like enjoy themselves and have a good time, hopefully. Um, and all the other bells and whistles kind of like distract from it's kind of funny because they don't distract. Because it's like you're you're removing maybe they do distract. Like you're just removing all distractions just by just throwing steak on the table, you know. Um, well, and then, I, go ahead. No, I, I don't mean to cut you off. I, I feel like it it absolutely is that because it's you're not you're not trying to figure out what side you want. You're not like looking for the the dips or appetizers. It's like no, I just want to eat as much meat as possible, and like the aprons are are an excellent touch. Like there's an aspect. Like I personally, I don't really drink. That, like I genuinely drink like maybe twice a year, and I save it for like very special occasions. And I, I even like was sipping on sipping on booze just because like that environment's literally like no, let's just drink, eat beer, and have a grand old time. I was chiefing like a chimney though, but that's just me. That's good. That's good. I sauce. cut you off though. No, I don't. I don't remember what I was going to say. You were talking um, about how, like, you you were essentially you're simplifying the experience by, you know, yeah. you're just eating with your hands, serving steaks. You're removing all the decisions from it, right? Like yeah. it's like we all we get, you know, you think you can make all these decisions in a day, but there's there really is a finite amount of decisions that the brain can make. You know, it's like, and if you. St- if you wake up and you have to like dig through your sock drawer for the right socks, then you're starting with like not a difficult decision, but just like a decision, you know? And, and I use that example because I legit have only one sock. I have like, you know, 50 of them, but it's all the same sock. So it's like, I pull open my drawer and I pull out two socks. Like there's no decision there. So I'm all about just like, I don't give a fuck. I just need socks on my feet i don't need a blue one and a blue one or like or i don't need tension from having a blue one and a white one i just like there's two socks in there and i grab two socks i feel <laughs> personally attacked right now <laughs> i have a drawer full of just like wild absurd socks which is fine i like i i just have i that's totally fine for you but i i just like it's not my decision and then the other thing but then but I'm just giving that as an example. Like you come to a beef steak, like 
the only decision is like what beer are you going to drink you know or what beer are you going to drink next or you know like it, it's just simple like the, everybody's getting the same food all the time and um it makes it easier in my mind it makes it easier to be present it's like somebody hands you a menu you got to order what are we going to get how are we going to share it then there's like there's three of us but they bring us four of the things on the plate like well what are we going to do with the fourth one you know like do we cut it in three or do we cut it like who's somebody going to eat it and then somebody eats it without asking you're like you motherfucker you gonna do that <laughs> like what are you gonna do? like you just there's none of that there you know it's just like everybody's just kind of rolling with the punches and there's no other way to go about it so I gotta ask cast iron skillet or stainless seal <laughs> um I, this is so funny I I have started like four times to to like write a response about this whole thing um, and then I just I never complete it I'm just I'm just that's just how I operate I never I never complete writing anything so just um, know I will clip this and I will send it to you so you can share it on your socials so that way like think of this as your opportunity to write it and then right. you can ship it to the world uh, so but here's my more concise answer um I think cast iron and stainless steel pots and pans like comparing them it's just apples and oranges it's there it's a very different material um i think and then there's all these other factors that are going to weigh into what you're using and why um usually not usually always cast iron is a poor conductor right and the reason having a poor conductor to cook is good is because you put it on your pan or you put it on your stove you turn on your stove regardless of how good your stove is the pan's going to get hot like the, the cast iron skillet is going to get hot uh, and i think probably cast iron skillets became popular a long time ago because they compensated for low heat cooking surfaces um in other words like you're cooking on a a wood like a stove, hot plate. You know, yeah or a hot plate or even like even before electricity you know like you're cooking on a right. wood burning stove Okay. And and so what you need to do is you need to get that thing hot and you need for it to stay hot, right? And the reason a poor conductor, it takes a long time for heat to conduct in there. It also takes a long time to conduct out. Um, the downside is like we all live in apartments and shit now in New York City, especially you put it on a you have a low flame. that's like a 40,000 BTU flame, which is low. You get the cast iron skillet hot, then you put a big ass steak in there. Um, your the, the temperature of the cast iron is going to drop faster than the flame can keep it hot. Um, so in in small apartments, cast iron skillets are better because they'll hold heat better and you can sear better. Whereas if you're reusing a cat, if, if you're using a stainless steel skillet um, at a forty thousand BTU stove. They don't conduct that much better, but they usually have uh, copper cores 
and then they do conduct better, right? So like they'll get hot faster, but they also cool down faster when you put a, a cold steak in there. Or and not even it doesn't the steak doesn't have to be cold. It deals more with like the mass, like how much of the steak is there relative to how much pan is there. Mm, um, okay. So like you almost so, want like extra pan space so that extra, that heat can get sent into the section yeah, with ex, the heat. Extra pan space, but also extra pan mass, right? Like they're just mm. so the, the mass that's there with the iron, like a, a a 10 inch cast iron skillet weighs a lot more than a 10 inch stainless steel skillet. Oh, absolutely. Um, so that mass just holds that energy a lot better. Um, the downsides of the cast iron are you, you don't, you know, because they, everyone says they have like a non stick skillet or non stick uh, surface, they don't, which is, which I would call, kind of call like semi non stick. It's like Bitcoin is anonymous it's actually like pseudonymous you know it's like doesn't really it's not really non-stick but um you it's reactive iron is reactive so like you don't want to cook with acid in a cast iron skillet and that's where the that's where the stainless steel comes in like if you have a nice stove that has like not a forty thousand btu burner but like a an 80,000 BTU burner or even a hundred thousand BTU burner, which is really hot. Um, you can get that thing hot as fuck and sear a steak in it and take it out and, you know, put whatever you want, like wine and butter and cream and in there in that skillet or sorry, I keep saying skillet in the, I'm going to say, iron. yeah, I'm going to say skillet is cast iron pan is stainless steel. Um, if you put all that stuff in a, in a pan, um, you can make that sauce or whatever you're making and just like there's no no reactions are happening like stainless steel is, is basically inert whereas if you put if you dump white wine in a in a cast iron skillet one iron is reactive with acid and that can taste weird and it basically creates battery acid i don't know if you ever put like aluminum foil like you should never really cook with tomato and cast iron skillets because it's also acidic uh, yeah it's also acidic just tomatoes just have acid in them um, and it destroys it destroys the the surface of the like the the quote-unquote non-stick surface that you've like seasoned onto there but it doesn't that seasoning doesn't disappear it fucking dissolves into your tomato sauce uh, and you don't want to be necessarily eating that partly because it's not delicious but probably also partly because it's technically like a form of polymerization where like oil turns into plastic over time you know like it's like a weird oh. thing there's like a weird thing going on so so it's basically like you can sear a steak in both of them you can make a sauce in a stainless steel pan i wouldn't make a sauce in a cast iron pan unless maybe it was like super like just cream and cognac or something like that like no like a zero no nothing acidic yeah yeah zero acid um so you could make like if you want to like saute onions and mushrooms and like put a drop of cream in there that would work but like white wine squeeze of lemon never squeeze lemon into a cast iron skillet 
that's that's off limits in my in my opinion so let me let me we are at the hour and i could not be sadder right now josh like genuinely i'm very sad um i have one more if i could steal you for one more question i'm not like i'm just chilling i've got like a full cup of rum here so i'm just i'm not in a rush i mean honestly i could keep talking to you so don't don't tempt me with a good yeah. time like this. But how like how often do you clean your cast iron? Oh, hmm. I that's a good that's a good question. So I think how often you clean it correlates directly to how often you use it. Um, if I make it, if I do like a if I make like a king hell mess in my cast iron skillet, I, I don't. I do not hesitate personally to like put some Dawn on a sponge and scrub it out. Um, but I use my cast iron skillet at least once a day, if not twice a day. Right. Mm. So if, if you're using your cast iron skillet once a week, I would not wash it with Dawn and put it back in the oven. Like if I wash mine out with Dawn, I'm probably going to use it the next morning to like, I don't make quesadillas for kids for lunch or something like that. Just my cast iron skillet is constantly being used for anything that doesn't have acid. <laughs> um, where tomato so, sauce goes in this in the pan. Yeah. yeah. So if you were, I would say like I feel like the all these kind of if you don't use if you use a cast iron skillet twice a month. I would not wash it with Dawn after every time you use it. I use it twice a month. Um, okay. But if you're cranking it, cranking food out of it all the time, I would just, I would not hesitate to just like make sure there's not crap building up in there. And also sometimes I'll cook salmon in there. And if I don't clean it after I cook salmon and I throw a steak in there, it just tastes like salmon. Okay. That, that makes sense though. I, I right now personally am disgusted at the fact that I, spent three years living with a roommate using sharing a cast iron skillet that he was very insistent on but like it was a once every few months we would clean it thing we didn't use it every day so i think there was like some validity to that but there was definitely there were points where i would look at him and be like i'm not cooking i'm not eating eggs off of that right now man like there's literally just like charred bits scattered around this but i'm a little more finicky like that it should be clean. It's okay for it to be clean. Okay. I'm with you though. Okay. Thank you for for validating me. But <laughs> I have uh, I, I want to ask about because at most beef steaks, at least the ones that I've been to, you grill. Like you're not you're not really worrying about skillet. So are you just like whatever? Are you in the camp of? Grill is the most superior form of preparing food, specifically meat. Hmm. And if it's not, what what is your genuine preferred method? I do think that if you're going to be eat a steak preparation, when I say steak preparation, I just mean like if you're going to eat a tender piece of meat in like a medium rare temperature range, like that whole like kind of like 125 to 140 range. Um. I do think that grilling with real wood is is mm. the tastiest way to go. Um, but you know, all that said, like I, I do that for beefsteaks when when and where I can. But you know, 
when I'm at home, I, I love, I, I love it, but I also just like, just for reasons of simplicity, I cook a lot of steak and cast iron skillets. You know, it's like, it's easy. It's in your house. You just crank that thing up and just throw a steak in there. It's like fast. You're not, you're not venturing in that coal to go, to go grill in the winter months. Yeah. Building a fire, you know, it's just like, it's like a ridiculous proposition, but that's part of why I like doing a beefsteak because the whole thing is a ridiculous proposition. I mean, Um, if I could be so forward as to say, like, if I was in your family, like if I was one of your kids, like I would be circling the day when dad's going to like go back outside and cook us a steak on the grill. Like that, that would be like a day in the house, in the Oasis household where I'm just like celebrating, like, let's go back on the grill, baby. <laughs> My kids do not do that. <laughs> <laughs> They just don't appreciate it yet. Like, well, that's what it you... is. Yeah, it's like you take everything for granted. We we all do. We take no, everything we, for granted. We absolutely all do. Um, are your kids picky eaters? One of my kids is a picky eater. I'll make like a full spread of just like eight things, and I'll put mine. And my younger kid will be like, "What am I gonna have for dinner?" Does he's he like? I want to like turn it. I just want to like throw the table, turn the whole table over. Walk out of the room. <laughs> I slaved in the kitchen for this. <laughs> yeah. But it do be like that. <laughs> <laughs> as a I, like as a truly obnoxious picky eater when I was a kid, like I was I was so annoying, I would require my mom to serve when she would make pasta. I would eat just plain pasta and then like she would keep the tomato sauce separate. And I was like very anti tomatoes growing up for like, I just, I don't, I don't like tomatoes and uh, amongst other things too. And you honestly, the corner there? Are, you, are you back on, I guess you're on the rouse wagon. Oh dude. I'm like, I like, yeah. I don't eat peppers really. I'm not a big spicy guy. Bell peppers just don't do it for me. But beyond that, like I eat, anything and everything yeah i and I, I laughed about this story with my mom like for example broccoli well i growing up hated it like wouldn't eat now it's like the first thing i go to if there's a, like one of those like sort of veggie plates with a dip and it was because i was in college and i will never forget i like staying in dc for the summer went out to lunch at a chinese restaurant with a friend and you know I ate all the food I ordered and it came with like a small side of broccoli. And I am like a broke, starving college student. And I finish all of the rice, all of that. We got like dumplings to start too. And I'm like, I'm still fucking hungry. And I look at my plate. I'm like, I got broccoli. Like, all right, eat the fucking broccoli because there's nothing else to eat right now. And, you know, you don't have any more money to go buy food. <laughs> so I ate the broccoli and I could do not. I like, I mean, I think it's t- I was 20 years old at the time and I text my mom and I literally go, mom, you will not believe what I ate today willingly and actually enjoyed. Hunger is the best sauce, man. Dude, what, really once is. your kids don't have your kitchen, once your youngest doesn't have you like yeah. just cooking every meal, you, you will get that. I promise you, you will get that phone call of like, oh man, I miss your cooking. Maybe. I will say like, I have a similar story with my kid. Like, my younger kid just like BLTs. Like, who the fuck doesn't like a BLT? 
And so, like, we just we did this whole thing where, like, we got up, we went on like a long hike, and like, and we just went to this like deli out in the woods, and I was just like, let's get BLTs, and like, it was like, I don't eat BLTs, and I was like, well, that's what we're having. <laughs> so like, you, you, it's like BLTs are nothing, and and now like BLTs are just like. They live for fucking BLTs. Like, you're just like, let's get a BLT, got BLTs, you know, like, um, and then, because, you know, you just throw them out, and they're just like, they have a bottle of water, and they're just fucking starving, and they're just like, oh, so good, what are we going to eat? Um, but it's true, it's like, you just, you get, you're in front of, you get, like, food in front of you, and just like, I just, I need to eat food right now. Yeah, like, there's, there's, there's no such like, thing as a picky, hungry eater, sorry. I'm muting myself. I, I, uh, I, uh, I forget what the book is called, but there's like it's 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 a great book. It's a it's a total downer, but it's I forget what it's called. It's Victor. It's by Victor Frankel. It's about the man's search for meaning. Yes. There's a there's a scene, uh, not a scene, but he's just telling a story in that where he's like. They're in the camp, and the person next to him is having nightmares. And uh, he's like, he's like, I want to wake them up to to bring them out of their nightmare, but I'm worried that this reality is worse than whatever he's dreaming. And I was just like, that is so so harsh. I mean, I was like, um. That was like a hard thing for me to. I was listening to it. That was a hard thing for me to hear. But it's just like a. In the moment, it's just like appreciating what whatever the moment was, you know, like just being totally cognizant of how good or bad the moment is. And obviously, that was a terrible moment for him. But, um, just like you get to this point where it's like it's just you have food, eat it, and. Uh, hopefully we get to that, you know, like we, we don't take that shit for granted. Um, what, whether it's broccoli or BLT or like steak at a beef steak, you know, like hopefully we can be there and like enjoy it for what it is in that moment. <laughs> I feel like I, I feel like I just uh, brought the, the whole tone of this thing into a different place. <laughs> no, not, a, not at all, man. I like, it, it's so important, I think, for us to appreciate the privilege and the opportunities that are in front of us and just, you know, focus on being grateful. Like, I yeah. genuinely, like, I'm so lucky that I have not had to really worry about my next meal for most of my life. Like, you know, I have a roof over my head. And, like, one thing that I often, you know, reflect and think about is the fact that. Like both my parents come from Iran. All of my cousins still live in Iran. Like that's how close I am to have not being born in America and then having all that I have here. And so I think I like I have a weird appreciation just for like even like being able to eat some of the foods that we eat. Like I was thinking like literally making avocado toast for my girlfriend and I would like made the comment. I was like, you know, if we ever go visit Iran, like you're going to need to figure out something else to eat for breakfast. Like I don't have avocados. <laughs> like there's no avocados in Iran. Like they're not importing that. Um, and it's, 
it's interesting, I think, the way that we in America in particular, and even in like more, most of the developed world, like we're so spoiled with the options that we have and like the quality of that food. Yeah. Oh my God. Options. We've got like, you go to the store, we've got like 24 mustards. It's like, it's almost like we can't, there's too many options. Have you ever, have you ever read Malcolm Gladwell's book, What the Dog Sees? What the dog sees? No. It's this one. So I only say it because you brought up mustard but literally the first chapter or actually maybe not the first but one of the first few chapters of this book is each chapter is a different story and i kid you not it's literally like he starts to like have you ever noticed that there are like 30 different types of mustard but there's really only like one ketchup and then he like goes into like the science behind like the taste components and structure and how he essentially explains that because the ingredients in ketchup essentially cover the five taste profiles. It is the ultimate dip. And therefore like any and all variations of ketchup are significantly inferior to just original ketchup. But like with mustard, like all of the different variations actually elevate mustard because it adds a new flavor profile to mustard. Interesting. I hear behind that. Dude, honestly, like I, I, I have a newfound appreciation for ketchup after having like read that chapter. It it, like blew my mind. And I was like, honestly, that makes so much sense. And now I use cooked tomatoes on everything. That was what got me over the tomato hump. Raw tomatoes are still like iffy to me. That chapter? (laughs) Literally that chapter got me over the tomato hump. (laughs) Um, You should write Malcolm a letter. Say thank you. (laughs) I might, honestly. I've, uh, yeah, that would be funny. Um, I was going to, the only other thing I was going to mention that I found like very like almost kismet is that you brought up Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning after we had talked about CK and doing that beefsteak on his roof because weirdly the time in my life that I was reading Man's Search for Meaning, I was staying at CK's house and I was reading it on that exact roof. Oh yeah, it's a good roof. Oh man, I was very sad when when they left that. A left that roof and B left California, but yeah. what is what is like your favorite thing to cook for A yourself and then B for other people? Hmm. Um, I really like. Sharing things that I like to cook for myself. Um, it's probably super simple stuff. Like it's just uh, actually, yeah. I'm gonna come back to what I cook for myself. I don't know. If I have a good answer for that, but I would okay. say that the because um, the answer is like what's cleanest. Usually, like leftovers. You know, like I have a. I have a big pet peeve about like wasting food. So like I'll go Love in there that. and be like, be like, I'll go in the fridge and be like, what is about to be thrown away? And I'll just like, you know, microwave it, <laughs> whatever. Um, but in terms of cooking for people, I really like to, 
uh, I will often kind of lean towards like whatever is the best thing that I can get, you know, like that, that answer is not like a uniform answer. It's like what I can find that's good at a supermarket or the farmer's market or whatever. Um, and then I like to hopefully like kind of give them something, share with them something that they haven't had before. Um, without being weird about it, you know, like, and I'm not trying to like feed people like pig splains and shit, but just like some simple combination where they're like, Oh, I could, I could do, you know, like where they can actually the best scenarios are like, I could do this. Like, that's what they say. They're like, Oh, this is really good. I could, I could do this. Um, and cause often the answer is you're right. You could, you could do that. Like you just, you just have to do it. Yeah, you're just a little lazy shit. Get off your ass and do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Does, does your does your family make like Persian food and stuff like to? Oh, all or... the time. Yeah, it, yeah I it, love that shit. It's people, so a lot of people have never had it, um, and it's not that hard to make. I mean, it's like it is hard to make it well, but it's like you can people can figure that out, you know. Like, and then there's like variations on that stuff and. I think now too, though, we live in, in a time where it's so like, because information is so easily acceptable, like you genuinely, and there are so many talented people who are like deconstructing things. Like I have a go-to, like my family doesn't eat at Chipotle anymore and we haven't for a couple of years. And it's because there was one night we went and everything from the rice, beans, the meat, even the guac, like I had found recipes of like chipotle copycat like the, these my beans homemade better than chipotle's my rice better than chipotle's my dad just looked at me he's like you make this better like don't we don't need to ever eat at chipotle and i'm trying to perfect because i have an addiction to panda express mainly it's the msg they put in the food but i'm trying to lock down how to make their orange chicken and their chow mein but once i do that it's game over <laughs> and I can make a good copycat in and out burger, and then I just cheat and I still use their spread. But there is something that he said, like for I, I mean, I'll just use your example. Chipotle is a great example because even if you can make all that stuff better, it's an incredible amount of work for what you could get at Chipotle for fifteen dollars. Totally. Right, so the beans like, alone is like it all, if I don't start cooking the beans before one, it's like all right, we're not gonna it's not gonna work tonight. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like all that stuff, like I'm with you. Actually, we used to do this with my with my family. We would do we did a couple years ago actually. We would we would did a Taco Bell Christmas where each person in the family made made at home an item from Taco Bell. Ooh. And that was pretty fun. And we did like made like chili cheese burritos and like crunch wraps and stuff. And uh, I mean, it's silly. And then and if you Google, if you start googling, it's just like this is like something people do. It's like they just like go in and just like make all those things. But then you do it. It's like that is so much work. And then and you you always have leftovers. And you're like, what am I gonna do with all these refried beans? Like, I can't make more crunch wraps with them. And it says, and it's like, there is a, there is just like a, 
there's something to be said. It's just like there's there's a huge downside to convenience, but but there's an also an upside. <laughs> um, I don't doubt. Like it's it, it goes. I think down to a how much time do you really have to do a lot of these things and like how clean do you want to eat um but ultimately like i think it's at this point in time like there is no excuse if you don't cook for yourself it's not because the information's not there uh, it's more just i think a self-inflicting wound and like i've had this conversation like my my girlfriend's not a big cook and it's like this self-fulfilling prophecy where at a certain point you just you never learned how to cook or you were never interested in trying to learn how to cook and then the times that you do attempt because you haven't taken the time to like refine the skill the food you make is just not good and so like it's like the self-fulfilling prophecy over and over again for anyone who listens and is not you know finds themselves almost overwhelmed in the kitchen like what advice would you give to someone who's trying to cook more for themselves yeah hmm. i mean i feel like the thing that happens that you didn't mention is there's also like a generational thing where like you didn't you weren't taught to cook or you didn't help your parents cook or whatever um so we were you i did not like i feel I like I kind of feel like cooking almost skips a generation where, like, my grandma was a great cook and my mom was a terrible cook because my grandma cooked all the great food, right? But then my mom didn't really retain any of the cooking that my grandma did. So, like, I started cooking because I wanted to have good food. I mean, cooking really is, like, it's like a way to... It's cathartic and it's a great process, but it's also just, like, a way to get good food in an affordable manner whenever you want it. Um, and it's also a form of appreciation, like you're appreciating the food that you're getting and ingredients and stuff like that. In terms of just like, if you can't cook for shit and you want to start cooking, unfortunately, I think the, the, like, the real answer is you just have to mess things up. Like you have to make mistakes in order to get good. You know, it's like, how do you have a good beefsteak? You have like 10 bad beefsteaks, right? And and you don't want to hear about those beefsteaks, but but it is like the process, you know, like you need to have, you just have to have, like go through the process and, and refine it. Um, so may, maybe it could be something like choose a dish and make it over and over again until you like it. Um, and then choose another dish. Um, another thing that people that I think people could do that is more monotonous and way more like probably for the fringe crazy people, but like get a cookbook that is a good cookbook and make all those recipes mm-hmm. like throughout the course of six months or something, you know, like, and, and for me, those recipes, those cookbooks would be like, I like this this guy called Yotam Otolenghi, who's like an Israeli dude. Um, and he has this kind of like fast casual restaurant thing going on in London. And his cookbooks are awesome. And they're a little bit wonky. They might have some weird ingredients, but I think for the most part, it's pretty approachable and, and doable for home cooks. 
and they're forgiving recipes. So like if you mess them up, unless you totally forget it, if even a little bit messed up, they'll still be pretty good. Um, and you can go through that and just like have like a repertoire. Oh like my God. Things. These look so good. I'm sorry. I, I smoked weed before, before we <laughs> went on the air. So like, Oh man, like up. this saffron pasta. Oh, yeah, they're great cookbooks. Also, those cookbooks are great gifts for people. Like, if your parents cook and stuff like that, like it's they're good cookbooks to, and they're beautiful. They're like coffee table books almost. Dude, my uh, my mom, she when she whips out the cookbook, I know something good's coming. And the other day, so she, being like an Iranian woman from Iran, like she doesn't have American cookbooks, so none of her cookbooks are in English. So this is there's one fatal flaw in that. While I can speak Farsi fluently, I can't read. So I'm, I've already decided my kids are going to Farsi school, and they're gonna have to learn how to both read and write so that they can interpret the cookbook back to me. But. It's all it's entirely in Farsi, but has all of these incredible recipes of just like how it's like properly done back in Iran. Um I I have taken some liberties on some of these recipes though. I've like become more confident in my like exploratory ways and I found I found some some things I take Western flair into, but I bought so much fucking saffron recently. It was kind of silly. So always looking for saffron recipes. So that's why I'm like, oh, jaw dropped. I can use a new pasta. So there's the rice dish I would call it tadig. Is that what you would call it? Yes. Like oh, tadig. The... Yeah. Okay. You want to know? You want to know the secret? I mean, I feel is that does that have saffron in the? Is, is if you tadig get... where you like mix saffron and yogurt and rice and then you make the crust, or is that something else? No. So it it typically is. I would say that the the variations of it are the simplest version. You could literally just leave oil. Like the easiest way to do it is you rinse the rice as much as possible to get the starch off, and then you boil it, just water up to this knuckle, and that the first knuckle on your pointer finger, mm-hmm. and put like a few drops of oil. When all the water is essentially been absorbed by the rice. Then you ter- make sure the pan is up on high, usually three to five minutes, but don't let it go too much longer than that. And then after that, then you put it down to low for like about 20 more minutes. That's like lazy tadik. Then like the restaurant quality stuff, what they're doing is they have way more water in the rice. Like it, like it's drowning in rice. So once that's the rice- stuff, I think it like it's pasta. Like so that that's- Yes, that's that's the real key is they rinse it in cold water after like they drain it, rinse it in cold water. And then in the, the back in the pot itself, you can do anything as, as complex as like a yogurt, butter, oil, and saffron mixture or something as simple as like yogurt, butter, or even just butter or even just oil. So it truly is just what you want to put the flavor. Like if you want an extra crunch, do yogurt. I personally don't, I don't like the crunch from the yogurt. I actually like the crunch more from like the butter oil mixture. Uh, 100%. So. Something about the yogurt, like it's stuck in your teeth. It's like a, 
It's not as like a chip. It's more like a soft. Yeah. Yeah. But then there are like other tatties too, where like they'll before they put the rice back down, they'll like slice very thin layers of potato, and then there's yeah. like a la- there's a layer like of potato a and then, dill. Yes, or even like my favorite when I was a kid was bread, and there's a food truck down in San Diego that I've been DMing, and I'm like, you please can you just let me know the next time you come to LA, and I know how absurd that is, but I I was so sad that I missed you guys. It's called Tadig tacos, and they make the bread tadigs, and then they put like Persian dishes inside, but they also do things like just carne asada or like whatever you want. They have like a, a Nutella with bananas and whipped cream, and I'm just looking at all of these like, oh my god, these must be the most incredible tacos in the world. Have you ever had like hardcore Korean bibimbap where they make you like the crispy rice in the in like the stone bowl? Have you ever had that in a restaurant? Not. Not like I've had a bibimbap, but not in the way that you're describing. So like, there's like a, a a big stone bowl, and they just put that stone bowl on a burner, and then they like put oil in there and put rice, and the rice gets really crispy, and then they put all this shit on top. Mm. Um, and I feel like that's this is like a thing that exists in in other cultures, and I and I every time that I brought like another culture person to have a bibimbap, they're like, oh my god, this is exactly what like. It's like everyone, every culture's favorite part of the rice is like they cook a huge pot of rice and then everybody like fights for the crispy parts. And I feel like in Korea, they just like do a small bowl of crispy rice and it's like what every other culture is like, oh, why did we do that? And, uh, and, but for that reason, like I remember I used to date this Colombian woman and we brought her to have bibimbap and she was just like, this like, all she ever wanted after that was bibimbap. She's like, let's just have a bibimbap. And and so, but I feel like I feel like there needs to be like a Korean like I call I would call it. Do you say does your family call it Persian food or Iranian food? Iranian. I call it per, Iranian food. You would. Call oh, it actually, food. actually, we we would just say like. To be honest, I don't think we would. I, I would equate that to like speaking in the third person almost. I would just be like, "Are we just having a horror misabzi?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, like, like in New York, my friends would be. They do not want me to call it Iranian food. I, I am not. I, I wish I understood better the history of Persia oh. to Iran and all that. Ah, oh, fuck! I, the books in the other room, dude. I've been diving into like the history of it, and I've been, I'm loving it. Like, oh my god. It it's such a beautiful and rich history, and oh, I, I will say, I will say this: that part of the world for millennia had been called like there was a tribe of Iranians that always existed there, and so that region, parts of it at least, were always considered Iran, at least within the larger Persian Empire, and so the moment when the Shah of Iran at the time said outwardly, like, hey, we are Iran. We are not Persia. That was sort of this invitation to the rest of the world to be like, hey, like, we like our secrets here. We don't, we actually appreciated that none of you guys knew what the fuck we did because we want it that way. And yeah, we, we are trying to open the doors and like welcome you into our culture and into our lives. So I, I like sharing that little tidbit because I think it's, it's, it, it, it is, it speaks to the warmth of Iranians in particular. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's something that I'm totally ignorant of, and they don't teach it to us here. You know, like it's not like something we learned in school somewhere. Um. Uh. Anyways, I just to, just to finish that thought, there should be a Iran Iranian version of like bibimbap restaurant, just like where you get okay. like a personal tadig in a bowl, right? Where it's like all crispy and shit, and like how cool would that be? Okay, I'm going to share an idea that I've, I've been cooking up. And I say cooking up intentionally because it's a restaurant idea, but it's a like fast casual restaurant. Because my issue with Persian food, especially when you go to a restaurant, you, you've been to a proper Persian restaurant, right? And like gotten a, a, a portion of rice that's insane for one person to eat. Yeah, yes, and then yes. like the, the meat on top. They throw all that shit away too. Like I feel like 50% of the rice they make gets thrown away. Absolutely. And then on top of that too, though, like the cost of one plate at a Persian restaurant is significantly more than one plate at pretty much any other type of cuisine. And I would equate it to the fact that it's because the plate is honestly meant for two people. It's not really like a, oh, I'm going to eat this whole thing by myself. Like, no, like share that. So if you actually cut the portion size in half and then you turned around and sort of, all right, you're getting a half size of that portion, you might get a quarter of the meat and then like a little bit of this or that, kind of like a Chipotle style. Like these are all of the ready-made options ready for you. And it's just boom, boom, boom. You cut the price point in half. You cut the portion size in half. So you can still arguably make a similar margin depending on packaging and other sort of operational yeah. expenses, yeah. but well, as far well, as your food expense goes, it should operationally sort of translate over easily and nicely. I think I just don't know if white people will go eat there. I mean, you just gotta pump it up, make it like make it like just quack, quick, quick and affordable, you know, just like. I feel like I've seen like every ethnic version of Chipotle and I've loved all of them, you know, like right. there's like a Mediterranean one where I had lunch with CK there a couple weeks back. I Kava. thought it was so good in New York. It's called Bispass, like B-I-S space B-A-S. Just like you pick out your starch and you get and you get like shawarma or a little, chicken swarma or lamb or falafel and then you get all these sauces and it's just like chipotle but middle eastern and then there was for a while there was an indian one where it's like you start with basmati rice and you get shag paneer and this and that and you get all these pickles and do you want a piece of bread or do you want and uh and i just think probably the flavor profiles of like real indian food just like didn't get traction but i just i loved that place for lunch like it was so good it's like a really good Indian meal for like twelve to fifteen bucks with a bunch of protein in it, and like the flavor profiles are there. But crispy rice, uh, crispy rice is—you uh, build an empire on crispy rice, dude. I honestly, crispy rice with spicy tuna. Like, if you don't order that at sushi, I feel like you might be a fed. <laughs> Your filter is out. Now people know. <laughs>
now, now uh, you need to be now you need to be suspicious of anyone that orders it first. Mm, if you beat me to the order, then you must then you must be listening to the pod. Yeah. But I also I just it clicked in my head, dude. It is very late in New York City right now. Um, I will leave you with the final word. I don't want to steal too much more of your time, but this has been an absolute pleasure and a treat of a conversation, my friend. Um, I might bother you to come back on. I will give you some time to like rest, recover, and recuperate, but we might have to properly just pick up the cooking side of this conversation because I think I could talk to you about food for days on end. Good times. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna work on my individual. You said Tadig? Tadig. I was saying it wrong. Tadig. Okay. I'm gonna get to work on that. My my final word would just be uh don't forget to make time for your people you know like it was great to just chill and chat with you and for whatever bitcoin does you know like it's it's all for not if we don't enjoy each other and like take some time and have a drink or have some good food have some crispy rice together absolutely brother uh always nice thank you again for your time Ladies and gentlemen, it has been another episode of Late Night Bitcoin with Q. We'll be back next week with another.